Is this cope, Ryan? Are we coping right now? You might be coping. Do you feel we like coping? we're coping? <laughs> I think when people are coping, they don't know they're coping. And I was about mm. to say, no, I'm not. This is not cope, this David. Not coping, but maybe yeah, that's right. what people who are coping say. <laughs> hey, Bankless Nation. Happy 4th Friday of September. David, what time is it? Ryan, it's the Bankless Friday weekly roll-up where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor. Yet, we persevere into the frontier nonetheless. Every Friday with our morning coffee, of course. Yeah, grab a cup of coffee as you... Uh, hear how David and I struggle through a roll-up <laughs> post-merge. Post-merge. Because David, what is there to talk about now that the merge is done? Content. Do any content? Bear market. Con- is this going to be a, a 20-minute episode here? <laughs> yeah, the roll-ups are just going to actually, I, I, <laughs> even though there's nothing happening, I bet you we could find a way to make a 90-minute roll-up. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know what? There actually is a lot happening because there's always a lot happening in mm-hmm. crypto, even though we're in a post-merge world. Yeah. Uh, number one, we're going to talk about the White House. They have some words to say to the crypto industry. This Biden report just came out. And I think people need to know, is it alarm time? Should we be freaking out right now? What else we got? And we have to reset the hack counter. There's a $160 million hack in this never before seen way of getting hacked. Uh, Are you at risk? Uh, No, you're not, Uh, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. So we'll get into that. And of course, we covered it last week. Do Kwan, is he on the run? Where is he? Ryan, do you know where Doquan is? Because people are looking for him. I don't know. He says he's not on the run, but I think Interpol has a, a different uh, take on that. It sounds we'll like somebody who's on the run well. was what they would say. Yeah, It you. does. <laughs> uh, before we get in, though, David, got to talk about our friends and sponsors. David, let's get to markets. All right. Bitcoin. What are we looking at on the Bitcoin price this week? Can we, I just, think we're can we just skip playing the sad music. this week? <laughs> Let's skip the whole section. No, tell us. Give us the hard truth, okay? We can hear it. We're uh, ready for this. Bitcoin not down so bad. Um, started the week at $19,800. So started the week below 20000 Ending the week at $19,000. Uh, a few dollars below $19,000. So we are in the 18000 range. Down 4% on the week. Uh, not All looking right. so great. Not looking this so great. This is a... Uh, not not so great, but not so bad. Typical bear market week. Well, for we're, Bitcoin, we're at the right? lows. We're, the Bitcoin like flashed down to seventeen and a half during the liquidation, and then it popped right back up to eighteen thousand something. We're, we're at the market lows. Like we're not we're not that far off the bottom. There was a liquidation event this week. Maybe some are saying this is maybe Fed caused, Fed induced. We'll talk about that. Um, but how about Ether? We are in a post merge ETH world. Was Hal Press right, David? Was the merge priced in? Uh, so Ether, uh, down 14% on the week, uh, started the week at $1,500, ending the week just below $1,300. Uh, I guess the merge was priced in. I guess Oof. it was fully, pri- the I merge guess. execution was priced in. Yeah. You ready uh, to say that? I, I, I guess so. Yeah. What's, there's what's no, there's no is, way for me to like twist this. I, I got you know, nothing here. Do you know your debate with uh, Jordy, Jordy Alexander yeah, on whether uh-huh. like the merge is priced in or not? Mm-hmm. I still like again. I'm you know I'm taking the role of the unbiased moderator, David. So I can't be in your corner. I can't be in jo- Jordy's corner. I have to be mm-hmm. unbiased. I will say as an unbiased moderator, you're not wrong yet. Okay, maybe Hal Press was wrong. Some of the like the traders were wrong. You are not wrong yet because what I heard you say in that conversation with Jordy was, it may not price itself in in the short term mm-hmm. you were talking about like post-merge you know could take a few weeks a few months but your main argument was in the mid to long run the merge isn't priced in because we have a massively decreasing issuance rate right. less supply on the market 
All we have to do is refill that demand bucket uh-huh. and then prices shoot back up. All so, we gotta David, do, huh? <laughs> maybe some solace there. I don't think you're wrong yet. Yeah. I don't think anyone can say that. It's a, it is pretty much a, a pretty big bummer to see Ether go down 14% immediately post-merge. I mean, definitely one part macro, which we're about to talk about. Also, the other thing that the new meta is like, all right, post-merge, what the hell is next? Like when you look over the horizon, what do we you see? Talk about that. Like there's not, yeah, there's not much there. So we're going to talk about that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what this has uh, cemented for me though, David, that mm. we are in a bear market. Yeah. There's all right. We are in a bear market. It's going to be a sustained bear market, right? So I think there was some hope that this catalyzing event of the ETH merge might uh, change things. Spark something, yeah. Spark Spark something wasn't enough. And this confirms when good news happens during a uh, market cycle and the price goes down, it's generally, you know, you're in a bear. So bear market confirmed. I think we could be here for months. Uh, I think we'll have to wait until macro. Um, takes over and we'll, we'll get into some of that story. But also, there are no big crypto catalysts ahead. Mm-hmm. This is nothing I can really think of beyond right. the merge. Yeah. So we got that. It's going to be fun times wow, on Bankless. A, is this a bearish weekly roll-up? Wow. There's you know, only like three I, of those. I'm not, I'm not really bearish, honestly. I just think this is the sustaining the bear market. But I'll tell you what did not drop ETH price. And that was Gensler comments this right. week. I saw this headline. Had to bring it up. What this a is ridiculous just scrolling. headline. I thought that was okay. an Onion article. This, no, this is Yahoo Finance. This is mainstream finance reporting and with the, with the headline, Ethereum price drops 20% as SEC declares control over the network. Wow. And we've got a picture of Gary Gensler with, with his fist in the air, dictator king style, <laughs> a controlling the network, I guess, as depicted controlling the network. So if your friends ask you if Gensler is controlling the network right now, and if that's the reason price dropped, Bankless is here to say, no, that's not the reason price dropped. And no, the SETC didn't declare control over the network. Gensler was just saying things that Gensler says often. And we'll, we'll cover that later. But, Gensler um, gonna I, Gensler. You can't, main, like mainstream reporting of this, you can't uh, associate the, yeah. you know, the correlation is not causation here. So uh, anyway, moving on, let's, let's take a look at what actually happened with ETH supply because mm-hmm. that is a pretty cool story. We're actually not in the ultrasound territory, though. Yeah, we are So not. maybe that's a bummer. But uh, tell us what we're looking at here, David. Yeah, so we're going to just do a, a review of the Ether supply dynamics post-merge. Uh, and you can see that little chart in the center of your screen. It is going up and to the right. So Ether is inflating. It's inflating at 0.19% a year, which is pretty damn low. Uh, and I, I see some, some Bitcoiners and some Ethereum bears looking at this chart and be like, oh, look, Ether's not ultrasound, it's not deflationary, all the ETH people were wrong. Um, but when you see this chart and you go up and to the right, Ryan, could you go ahead and hit that simulate POW button on the, on the right side so we can see what it otherwise would have? Now look at that. So that white dashed line is what Ethereum was previously pre-merge. And then the blue line at the very bottom is what it currently is. And those are very distinct, very different slopes. And then Bitcoin is about splitting the difference right in the middle there. Uh, and the, also the other important thing is that since the merge, there has been 4.7 thousand Ether issued. Where there was previously once 13,000 Ether issued a day, since merge, there has been a net total issuance of 4.7 thousand Ether issued. If we were still in proof of work, we would have otherwise issued about 93 and a half thousand Ether. 
So that is a net issuance reduction of 88,000 Ether that has not been issued since the merge has gone in, uh, total sum about $14 million. Uh, $14 million, not insignificant. And how long has it, has it been since the merge? About seven days, right? Yeah. It's been seven days. And this is the thing, David, just, just one week into this, and mm -hmm. Ether is not ultrasound post-merge on a one week basis, one week basis but of course yeah. it can always catch up right? right two weeks from now three weeks from now maybe months later and um the the next bull run mm -hmm. for example takes uh issuance down and in, deep into the negative territory and makes up for this but for people who couldn't see the lines that you're pointing to um eth was issuing or would have been issuing over the past seven days 3.78 percent and to your point it was actually only 0.19 percent and that was get, that was as a result of the mm -hmm. merge. So the difference being, we uh, issued four thousand seven hundred ETH mm -hmm. with proof of work. We would have been issuing ninety three point five. Yeah, big difference there. Big, big, big delta difference. There. It's also Not worth showing noting up in the numbers. It's also worth noting that when gas is like basically on its floor right now, right at seven guay, if we had like a 50 guay 24 hour period, that makes up for like three days of net inflation, right? And so the amount of burn can, is uncapped. And so you can burn like seven days worth of inflation inside of a very small amount of time. And so as soon as you get out of like the depressed bear market era of gas fees, like you can make up a lot of lost ground in a very short amount of time. Um, is this cope, Ryan? Are we coping right now? We I might be coping. I do you are feel we like coping? we're coping? <laughs> I think when people are coping, they don't know they're coping. And I was about mm -hmm. to say, no, I'm not. This is not cope, this David. Not coping, but maybe yeah, that's right. what people who are coping yeah. say. Um, <laughs> honestly, I'm not that worried about this. Like, I, you should only be worried about this, in my opinion, if you think block space demand will never recover on Ethereum. Well, if you think <laughs> block space demand will never recover, you are also thinking crypto is not a thing. Those are synonymous right? statements. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I, to me, like, it does not compute, is not compatible. Right. Like that doesn't work because, uh, I mean, and if, if Bankless has a fault, maybe we have more than one fault, David, but our fault is that we are perma bulls right. on this industry and on crypto, not over short-term one week time right. periods, okay? Right. Over year-long, decade-long time periods. Uh, and um, yeah, it's incompatible to me to be short block space demand in that environment. Mm -hmm. But how does ETH stack up, Ethereum that is, stack up in issuance uh, versus other networks right now. That'd be a cool thing to see. Yeah, this is where the ultrasound meme really, really takes hold. So Bitcoin currently issuing at 1.75%, which is issuing $17 million a day. Dogecoin coming in, at, and this is in, in terms of dollars, so the more dollars you're issuing, the you come first. Dogecoin is the new number two daily issuer in US dollar terms, inflating at 3.6% almost $0.8 million a day. Coming in third is Ethereum uh, at 0.15%, issuing $700,000 a day of, of currency. And so like the 0.15% the issuance rate is such a clear juxtaposition on every other like highly issuing money uh, currency in, in the space. Like Cardano, 1.3%, Litecoin, 1.3.7%. I don't know where Avalanche or Solana is on this. Sometimes uh, they, David Michal gets a bug and he does he stops displaying I've them. I've seen but five, five, five to 7%. Solana's at 7%, at like Avalanche is like at 8%. Like, yeah, it's like, these are big differences. These are huge numbers. Yeah, I, uh, I do think all of this will catch up to the price of ETH, but certainly Eventually. not overnight. Yeah. Eventually. Mm -hmm. um, a few things. 
with respect to staking rewards. Uh, I saw this from the, our network newsletter. This was very interesting. Look at this portion of consensus rewards, which are basically block rewards versus execution rewards. Hmm. So po post-merge, the rewards to validators uh, saw an increase of 172%. So definitely went up. Not as high as some people were saying. I saw numbers around like, like the high 5.9s to to six um, percent APY, something like that. I mean, there was the hope during the 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 bull run. If you use the the bull run um, block like uh, um, block space demand, then you get like double digits uh, staking yield. Um, we we haven't seen that. We're not likely to see that anytime soon. But six percent, not too bad. And um, more than half of that is coming from MEV and transaction fees rather than pure block space reward. One of my favorite things about just the post-merge world is how many more metrics there are to look at. Like there's just so many numbers to yes. talk about. As a content producer, I enjoy it. <laughs> yes, we, we will not run out of content, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> Knock on wood. Okay, so this is mevboost.org, which is a new website that's very, very useful. This is all about the block building side of the equation. Uh, and so just a quick recap, there's block proposers, aka ETH stakers. People are staking their ETH. Uh, and sometimes they want to outsource the role of building a block. They are, for whatever reasons, usually monetary, uh, they will say, hey, someone serve me a block and I will propose that block rather than building that block myself. Because if you block building is a skill, uh, it's a competition vector for people to compete on. And there are new block builders on the scenes. These are new entities in the supply chain of building an Ethereum block. So there's Flashbots, of course. There's a Blocks route. There's Block Native, Manifold, and Eden. These are all block builders. Uh, and they are specializing in how to extract as much MEV uh, out of a block as possible. But then there's also things like block route uh, ethical, which is only extracting ethical MEV, so no sandwich attacks and no other malicious stuff. There's also blocks routes regulated. If you choose to be OFAC compliant, you can have the regulated uh, block uh, served to you. And these are all these entities are all competing as to how profitable they can build you a block. Uh, so Flashbots is by far the most used um, a block builder. It's it's built almost 10,000 blocks so far, producing almost 2,000 ether in rewards for people that have used Flashbots as a block builder, coming in at an average block value of 0.193 ether per block. Uh, and then you know all of these people are competing on various vectors uh, as to how to make the average block the most profitable. Coming in first, block native at 0.23 ether per block is the most, uh, the best block builder so far in the game, uh, but is so, so early in this brand new world of block building uh, that, uh, that we will see. Manifold, the one that uh, Ryan is highlighting is a special case. Uh, they are integrating with certain DeFi apps like SushiSwap, uh, which is why they have only proposed a very low number of blocks, 63, but their the average block value though. is 0.6, right? That's their deal. They are low numbers of block proposers, but high value per block, yeah. What's interesting to me is like, um, okay, so Relayers and uh, block builders, mm -hmm. they just got jobs on yeah. the network. New They're jobs. newly employed. And uh, this is at the same time we said to all of the miners on the Ethereum network, thank you for your service. Your services are no longer needed. We will mm -hmm. escort you to your vehicle. Right? And like miners your left. Has ended. And now we knew, have new but employees. But thank you, though. Thank you, though, for your service. Uh, we have relayers and we have builders as mm -hmm. well. And the builder market is actually like... Um, it's actually fairly diverse. Like there mm -hmm. are a number of different um, block builders that are gaining some market share. 
uh, on the relayer side of things, that's that's been interesting because if you run a, an actual validating node like David and myself, so you set up mm -hmm. your validating node and then you get to pick which mm -hmm. block builder, which block relayer you actually want. And you can pick based on your values. So I want maybe an ethical, ethical blocks, yeah. uh, builder and relayer. Grass-fed, you know, Yeah, grass-fed, organic. Mm -hmm. Or you can pick maybe something that is in super compliant, maybe the over-complier uh, mm -hmm. block builder, like block uh, blocks are out-regulated. You mm -hmm. actually get to choose these things. Now, David and I had a conversation with uh, Vitalik earlier this week, and he made the point that there are protocol upgrades coming down the pipeline that will actually nullify the need for relayers. Mm -hmm. And so we'll always have block builders, but not relayers, which is good because relayers can represent a censorship uh, vector. Anyway, more on that a episode. Centralization vector too, yeah. A, mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a centralization censorship vec vector. More on that episode, uh, if you listen to it, that's coming out on Monday. But to your point, David, there are so many more numbers to look at, mm -hmm. and the ecosystem has just gotten that much more interesting with, with these new relayers and builders entering the network. All right, well, Ethereum is building blocks the Fed is raising interest rates. Maybe Jerome Powell is the guy we have to thank for the lower crypto prices this week. The Fed just went big again. This is their third straight three-quarter point rate hike. So 0.75, 750 basis points up. This was anticipated, I think, by the market. Um, this is, uh, of course, you know, Powell has been signaling this for a while. And uh, in his comments, he actually signaled more to come. So the comments, I think, were a bit more hawkish than analysts thought. Quotes like this, the chances of a soft landing are likely to diminish to the extent that policy needs to be more restrictive or restrictive for longer. That's what he said. He also said, no one knows whether this process will lead to a recession or, if so, how significant that recession would be. Not as much talk of soft landing in this discussion. Talk of maybe estimations of maybe a 0.75 rate hike again in November, followed by another what? half a percent in December. All right, so we are going up, my friend. Yo. Interest rates are rising. The Fed is really serious about breaking the back of inflation. So we are now between uh, the new target range of three to 3.25% from an interest rate perspective. So that happened this week. And of course, markets, risk on assets right. tumbled as a result. Yeah, sick. I mean, okay, so we, we merge, we look beyond the merge and we see nothing. And then the Fed says, oh, you know, you want something to look forward to? Rate hikes. And that actually, I feel like it does a pretty good job explaining the price action over the last seven days. Oh, yeah. You think Powell was like, he saw the merge and he's like, you guys are too happy. Ugh, take this. <laughs> you think that's I, what happened, I think, David? Yeah, he's got it out for us. Yeah, uh, that's like, probably what happened. All right. So, like, when the hell is the pivot? I was promised a pivot. Uh, I thought, like, election. The, 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 I, I've, you know, maybe election November time? pivot, post-November post pivot. Isn't that uh, November of 2023? No, there's the midterms are coming up this oh, year. Oh, midterms. Oh, midterm election. Okay. Yeah, we've well, got midterms. Okay. Well, whatever. I don't know anything. But like, I, I was always under the impression that the Fed can't raise the interest rates all that much without like bankrupting the United States. So when's the bankruptcy well, happening? We're doing it. I was we're promised a bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at these rates. I mean, there have been lots of people like um, uh, Dan Moorhead from Pantera Capital mm -hmm. who's like, hey, the Fed has to raise to at least 5 to 6%. Right. They should be doing it now. 
Right. And this is more on kind of the aggressive side and like they have to do it in order to be sustainable. So different macro people have different perspectives on this. But the, I the will line give you- that no one knows whether this process will lead to a recession or not uh, or how significant that recession would be kind of freaks me out because they their policy on the other side of things, like I said last week, their policy on the other side of things were like, oh, we'll just issue money. Like inflation is transitory. We don't know. It's like, well, okay, sick. Now we're going in the other direction. But here's the thing, of course, we know that like high inflation is not politically tenable. Neither are recessions yeah, also, for yeah. <laughs> those in power, right? So you kind of want to thread the needle and get the balance right. And right now, mm-hmm. Powell is in the mood to take a uh, hawkish stance on things. Um, but I'll tell you, the prices of something is going up, and that is the price of a 30-year mortgage rate in the U.S. Now, this is raised to more than 6% for the first time since November 2008. So I have never seen rates in my That's kind nice. of yeah. looking at homes uh, lifetime. I've never seen interest rates this high, not even close, and they're still increasing which is crazy. And if you want to look at how this looks to an average home buyer, here's a, a, a tweet. The average 30-year mortgage is up from 2.7% to 6.3%. We've got a doubling. That and that means monthly payments on a $500,000 loan last year, that's a home payment, was $2,030. Monthly payments now, $3,100. Housing prices are down 6% in one month. And that is the biggest drop since 2011. This tweet ends, recession is an understatement. So how much can you keep cranking the vice grip here, David, before other things break? And that's what you know, macro analysts like Jim Bianco have been telling us all along. They will continue to hike until something breaks. Are how, is the housing market the next thing to break? I'm not sure. We're looking at you know, bonds in Japan. These are other things. Like, not sure when the next thing to break is, but um, Powell and the Fed seem determined to continue this strategy of tightening. Yeah, I can't can't tell if like people that bought a house at the peak of the bull market, like in 2021, where are did they buy the top of the housing market yet also the bottom of the of the interest rates of the uh, of the mortgage rates? Because at the same time, so like prices are down from all time highs, but also interest rates are up. So like, was yeah, it a good nice, deal or was it not? Nice to be locked in right now to like a 2.7% uh-huh. fixed loan, 30 right. year mm-hmm. fixed loan. Uh, yeah. What a gift that is in these Yeah, but, in these but rates. your house is down 6% in a month. So right. like, you know, you know like pick, your, pick your poison. Yeah, you, you can't get everything. But if you mm-hmm. want some comforting words, uh, Powell has some words on shelter. Uh, He said this, I think that shelter inflation is going to remain high for some time. We're looking for it to come down, but it's not exactly clear when that will happen. It may take some time. Here's this one's for you, David. Hope for the best, plan for the worst, Powell said. There you go. I don't feel comforted by that at all. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. Uh, This is Stanley Druckenmiller. Not much more good news than what he's saying. This is a a video quote from an interview series he did. He said, there is a high probability in my mind that the market at best is going to be kind of flat for 10 years, sort of like 1966 to the 1982 time period. That's not a favorable time in American history with respect to like the prices of stocks and equities markets and that sort of thing. uh, That is a huge take. 10 years of flat? Yeah. Oh. So, I mean, I don't know what this all means, right? But, like, I I think one thing that we're seeing, of course, is, like, when prices go down, when it seems like there's bad news on the week or on the month, then things like this, Druckenmiller quotes, surface, right? Who knows how long he's been saying this? 
Um, who knows how long other investors have been kind of saying this. So uh, there, there is kind of an information bias when it comes to bad news always gets magnified during bad weeks in the market. Right. I think that's at play. Um, but the question remains, I think, what would crypto do in a flat 10-year period? Uh, is that going to happen? And if it does happen for equities, what does that mean for crypto as an asset class? Uh, I'm not really sure how to how to weight these, how to understand them, but um, I think it's more content we should do on Bankless to, to figure yeah. that out. The answer what I want crypto to do during that time, I mean, of course, I want the, an the answer to be to go up, but that's, you know, you can't ask for that, obviously. What I want it to do is decouple. Do something else, <laughs> like do right. something different. And like maybe that's that's how this like bear market slowly plays out is like, the you know this s p market which moves slower than crypto markets crabs for 10 years but then four to five years into it we have just another classic growing season in the crypto world uh that's maybe that's what you awful. want to happen david yeah i wanted to decouple sometime later later in the conversation Druckenmiller miller did say like during the 1970s was it was a good time for many companies i mean that was the time when apple was founded for example mm. home depot was founded uh, and of course, we, we do know that crypto markets tend to move much faster than traditional Super, markets. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the pain is more severe. Um, the dips are shorter in general. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. This could be uncharted territory. David, what do we have coming up next? Coming up next, the White House has some words for us in the crypto industry. Is it time to sound the alarm? We'll figure that out. Uh, 60, $160 million hack. Got to reset the counter on that one. And what's next now that the merge is behind us. What are we going to talk about? What's the new meta? Is there, what's the new narrative? Can we create one? Because uh, uh, there's definitely a content bear market going on. So all of that and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back. The Biden administration, the White House, just released their first ever comprehensive framework for responsible development of digital assets. By that, they mean crypto. And the Biden administration charged a whole bunch of branches in the White House to go and investigate crypto. And this is the report. This is what they came back with. David, what's some of the summary from this report? Yeah, there's just different headlines, different goals that this report wants to see out of the crypto industry. Coming in at number one, protecting consumers, investors, and businesses, which, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense to lead with, especially coming from the White House who are trying to protect their citizens. Uh, it's no secret that crypto is full of scams and exploits and hacks. Uh, how the White House and how the government plans to solve that problem, uh, curious to see. Uh, anyways, that's number one. Uh, number two, promoting access to financial services. Number three, fostering financial stability. Four, advancing responsible innovation. Five, reinforcing the country's global financial leadership and competitive competitiveness. Six, fighting illicit finance, anti-money laundering, counterfeit financing of terrorism, et cetera. And seven, exploring a US central bank digital currency. I don't know how much I should read into the ordering of these things, um, but it would make sense that the uh, White House would put protecting consumers first. Uh, so that's like, uh, let's not do things like algorithmic stable coins. Let's not promote scams. Um, interesting that number seven blast is the CBDC, uh, which definitely tracks with 
all the other institution, uh, like uh, government institutions out there that are like, oh, we'll research and talk let's about explore. CS. Let's, let's explore. Think about it. Let's think about it. Like talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you? What are your takes on this? Yeah. So when I read this, David, I guess a few things like stood out for me, like just some keywords. Like if you did a keyword search, there were a lot of like words that uh, connote danger mm. or risk or illicit finance. Uh, there was also some some CDBC. Even though there was a section about um, competitiveness in America and protecting innovation, like there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone in the in, in those sections. And so for me, this report was pretty bearish. Now I, I didn't go into all of the detail because there are many like branching reports and it's very long. But there wasn't a lot of talk about um, like the potential of crypto. There wasn't a lot of talk about the the value of DeFi in our economy. There wasn't a lot of talk about how America would lead the way from an innovation perspective. And I was left as kind of like a, a fellow builder and investor in the space in crypto being like, why, what's there for me in America? Like, mm. why should I build here? It was pretty uninspiring, I think, for US entrepreneurs and builders. Um, hopefully it's just a lot of like talk similar to the CDBC type talk and maybe there won't be negative action um, kind of taken. But um, one thing that became clear, and this was a, a take from Jake Chervinsky, that kind of the, of course, you'd, you'd expect them to come down pretty hard on like illicit finance and money laundering, that sort of thing, because this is the government after all. But also algorithmic stable coins kind of took center stage in the report. This is Jake Chervinsky uh, tweet, tweeting this. It's hard to overstate the damage that Terra has done to the perception of crypto in D.C., Many policymakers already disliked the notion of a permissionless digital marketplace and wanted to put all of crypto into a well-sealed box. Terra gave them unjust cause to push forward, or maybe just cause. And I think that's what like lawmakers and, and those in DC are, are actually thinking. So Terra, Luna, Doquan, the ecosystem, the community, that, that entire thing that just happened you know, six months ago. Oh yeah, that, a, that $50 billion that we deleted, oops. I put, I put a damper on, on this entire report. I mean, a lot of people think it, it could have come out a, a lot different yeah. if uh, Luna hadn't just happened six months ago. Now, how can you be optimistic on quote unquote DeFi? Um, it, it, like when that sort of thing is going on. Um, but okay, also, can you yeah, help me understand what is this thing? For White House releases comprehensive framework for responsible development of digital assets. What does this really mean? Like, are they just issuing a, a report and like, we issued a report. I think they're Yay. issuing a report. They're um, issuing some guidance. They're starting to develop a posture, a policy on kind of what Biden might support, what might he not support, the things that people should explore. This is so, for themselves though, right? They, like, here's our report for our own stance towards crypto. It's influential, I think, across all branches of government, right? Okay. So everyone's reading this. Uh, what we're and, seeing, and like a lot of branches of government are reading this and be like, okay, this is how we should act. I think this is how Biden wants us to act, or this is kind of the White House's posture. I think it's okay. influential in that way. Um, and we're starting to see some legislation, particularly mm -hmm. on the stablecoin front. So this week, we learned of a draft stablecoin bill in Congress. Um, this, this is all about stable coins. We don't yet have the details of what this bill actually is. It's in the house right now, but, um, there's talk of bans on different types of payment coins that are not backed by outside assets. So similar to Terra US, uh, to Terra and UST, 
the Algo stablecoin that of course uh, collapsed. And so um, bans on maybe algorithmic stablecoins. Now I, I have to say, we haven't seen the details yet. This is all kind of closed door. So we don't actually know what might be inside of these bills, but it's kind of alarming that, um, you know, that we wouldn't pick on the, the, the centralized aspects of a Terra and would extend, maybe extend the blame to, to a class called algorithmic stablecoins. And who knows how far, like would Rye be included in that, for, for example, right. which is collateralized backed by ETH and not really pegged to the dollar as kind of God, a, tro- you a control mechanism. Could Rye? Oof. Well, is Maker an algo stablecoin? I mean, it's enforced by code, right? Maybe this uh, definition is broad enough to include Maker, a- for example, or how about Frax? which uses a combination. And so if these experiments fall under the purview of such a bill, um, I don't think that's a good thing for crypto. Like that's a very bad thing that puts us uh, farther away from non-state money, at least Mm -hmm. the legality of non-state money in the US. Yeah, Brian Armstrong made a comment about this. He said, one of the strongest policy arguments for cryptocurrency is that it's a national security issue. The U.S. missed out on semiconductors and 5G, which is now largely manufactured offshore. It can't afford to have cryptocurrency go offshore as well. Same for every country, by the way. Uh, And then he continues, regulation by enforcement has a terrible chilling effect and rhetoric matters. We've already seen a huge amount of crypto talent, asset issuers and startups go offshore. And he finishes, Coinbase is a global company, but we're based right here in the USA and we'll fight to make sure crypto succeeds here for everyone. It's too important for America and the free world. And this is why, Ryan, I was asking you, like, what is this report really doing? What is, how is it moving the needle? Because every time I see a report like this, like, and we, we, we always joke about like, oh, the United States decided to have a meeting to talk about and research CBDCs without actually implementing anything. And like, yes, it takes time to do regulation, but the crypto industry builds so fast that like we're gonna build faster than they're gonna be able to comprehend this industry. And it's, that is always going to create a source of friction because of what you just said. MakerDAO, is that algorithmic? Because that's fully collateralized up to like 300%. Frax, is that algorithmic? Because there's only 10% of that supply that's algorithmic. And then there's Terra. That's algorithmic. Algorithmic's a bad word. They don't even know, we don't even know the words that we need to describe our own industry. And so like there's so much just chaos and confusion in this space that like whatever regulation or report that they produce, I, I feel like it's always just going to lag behind what's actually needed. I think what's, what's most alarming though is if the first principles in the report are kind of wrong, right? Mm. What, what, where we do need regulation, and I think we've always said this, is where things are centralized, they should be regulated. Yes. Where, they are, where they are more decentralized, they don't require as much regulation. The regulation is the code. It's fully transparent. It's all on chain. There aren't humans in the middle. And so if they make that categorical error of taking, not, not mixing up the difference between centralized and decentralized and taking an entire use case like algo stablecoin, pointing at that and saying, that's the bad thing. No more right. algo stablecoins. Uh, I, I just think the implications of sloppy regulation, sloppy legislation, could impact our industry in a big way. And particularly when I say our industry, I mean those in the US, because outside of the US, these experiments may continue to run. And as Brian Armstrong said, what's gonna happen? US will be leapfrogged, right? right? Just like they missed out on the 5G opportunity. They missed out on the semiconductor opportunity. That's what's at stake here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the White House report. 
There's a house bill on stablecoins um, that's happening. Uh, there's actually been an earlier proposition of a stablecoin bill in the Senate as well. But apparently, on the uh, Senate Banking Committee, we don't have many fans of crypto. This was a an article that was released um, just yesterday. Wait, and, the Senate um, Banking Committee is not fans of crypto? I am just shocked. <sighs> right. Um, so they asked Senator Brown, who's the chair of the committee, about crypto, and this was his direct quote. Let's just say there's a healthier skepticism about crypto and banking, housing, and urban affairs committee than there is in the Ag com Committee. That's the Agricultural Committee he's talking about. Um, every single member of the Banking Committee, with the exception of one, has serious serious skepticism of and concerns about crypto. Well, do you know who the one is, David? I one who guess. doesn't have concerns. This is uh, Senator Toomey, who's actually coming on the Bankless Podcast next week. And I don't know if you saw this, David, but he had kind of a, a sparring match. Did you watch this video with it was Gary so Gensler? Good. It was so good. All right. Well, it's like, like when, when politicians make sense, it's just like it feels like a weight <laughs> is off your chest. Like, thank you, Toomey. Thank you. Yeah, so there was some back and forth between Toomey and Gensler in a Senate committee meeting. And Gensler is basically saying, hey, all tokens are securities, or almost all of them that I've seen, because most of them depend on the profits of others. Uh, I'm not saying this. The Supreme Court is saying this. There's something called the, the Howey test. And Toomey was coming back and, and saying, yeah, but not if they're sufficiently decentralized, though. And Gensler was kind of like dancing around that term, sufficiently decentralized. And Toomey said, well, Profits of others, that's just one prong of the Howey test. Mm -hmm. And there are like four. Are, like He didn't say this, but the question imposed is like, are Pokemon cards securities? Right. How about if, concert tickets? If the tickets? number goes up, is that security? Right. No, is the answer to that question. And he was pleading. He was just saying, please give us clarity. There's a lack of clarity for the industry. Please, Gary Gensler and SEC, uh, give us clarity. And Gensler repeated, but there's already clarity. The Supreme Court said so in the Howey test. And right. on he's just and passing on the buck for like four off. minutes. He's just passing the buck off to the Supreme Court, right? He's yeah. like, everything's a security. Go ask the Supreme Court. But he's just right. putting words in the Supreme Supreme Court's that's, mouth. That's what he's doing, which, which yeah. is which is interesting, because maybe these sorts of cases end up at the Supreme Court level. Maybe yeah, that's how they ultimately yeah. get resolved. It's where, he, it's where he's funneling them. That's for sure. It seems to be. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's that's the White House report. That's what's going on in D.C in crypto during the bear market. David, we also got a hack this week. What mm -hmm. happened? $160 million winter mute hack. Uh, this was an interesting one. Uh, and so there's this way, there, there's these things called vanity addresses. They're not like ENS addresses where you like buy a name. They're something where you like, you basically mine for an address. You, you use like a CPU or a GPU and you produce a bunch of hashes and you try and check for something that you're looking for. And so like, say you want an address that starts with 0x0000000. You can't actually intentfully make that address. You have to just like discover a private key that corresponds to that address. Uh, and so that's what Wintermute did. They, they mined for an address with this application called Profanity that helps them do, do this. And they got an address that started with like a large number of zeros. It was like six or seven zeros. People just do these things because it's cool. Uh, I remember there was a, like a big excitement when somebody in like Bitcoin land uh, in 2017 found an address that was started with Flame. And that was like super cool. Obviously, you can't share the private keys because like the only one set of private keys. But like people like to do these things. Anyways, Wintermute 
use this app called Profanity to, to make a profanity address, which started with like eight zeros. Turns out the code that uh, Profanity used was faulty. Uh, and so it was very exploitable. And that's what happened here. Uh, and so are you at risk of this same exploit? If you've used the app Profanity, you might want to double check. But for like 99.99% of people, you're fine. You're fine. Definitely not worth it to get that vanity address, right? At least, and, uh, well, it's it's definitely it's possible to do it in safe ways if you double check everything, like all smart contract addresses. You just got to make sure you know what you're doing. I'm just kind of why why take the risk? Yeah, Cl for clicking for buttons on your ledger purchases, yeah. in MetaMask. Yeah, it's um it's risky business uh, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Winterbeat, of course, they were a crypto market making firm. That's why they yeah. had so much money mm -hmm. in a hot wallet because this was a hot wallet as Oof. as well. It wasn't Oof. cool storage. That's a lot um, of money in a hot wallet. Yeah, it's a lot of money. I do think the the lesson here is, and this was a, a good summary um, from a website I found called Halborn, the profanity vulnerability address generator was abandoned by its creator. So this project mm. was actually abandoned by its creator, which is not a good sign, multiple years ago. So when performing high-risk cryptographic operations such as private key generation, it is best to use a tool that is reputable, audited, and still actively supported. That is the key takeaway for bankless listeners, I yeah. think. I mean, this feels like common sense. Anyways, moving on into our big news item of the week, which is an absence of news, actually. Uh, and so the big meta question is, now that we're post-merge, like, what's the next catalyst? What's the next thing that we're going to focus on? Uh, what next? And I think this has been the, the meta conversation in crypto Twitter lately is, What's on the horizon? Like, what do we have to look forward to? And I feel like th that lost feeling of where are we and where are we going when people don't have an answer to like what is next in the crypto world is like showing up in the price action. Like the prices are down because people feel like they are confused as to like, where is the next catalyst? Why it's not will a supply problem. Back? It's right. a demand problem. It's a demand problem. Uh, and so like it turns out post merge that there's like not that much juice to squeeze out of crypto. Like there's the, the merge was kind of it. Uh, and like, you know, straight up retail just needs a rest. And this is just how crypto works. Like retail comes in, they, they pump up the markets and they make institutions follow them and then they get exhausted, right? Like the NFT gas markets are hard. DeFi is complicated. Bridges get hacked. So like they retail needs a rest, but, they always come back. Retail always comes back. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta let them sit for a little bit, and then you'll, we'll poke that door later. There's also like macro fears on the rise. We talked about macro all like for the first like 30 minutes of this podcast, but then there's also the pivot on the horizon. And so like we have these, we have this period of time where like things just got really calm, really quickly, and really depressed, uh, and now we're like having to contend with like, what's next? Ryan, what's your attitude with this? My attitude is uh, this is normal. This should be expected. We've seen this before in crypto. We're going to see it again. This is a take from DC Investor. And he says, if you were here from the crypto class of 2020, 2022, uh, 2021, and are still here in 14 months, then I might from that point onward consider you legit. This is the great filter, he calls mm -hmm. it. So that's where we are in the market, the great filter whole bunch of people who just came in recently, class of 2020, 2021, are about to get filtered out. They're about to lose, leave. And so this is a, an analogy we often use of the difference between settlers and tourists. The tourists leave, the settlers stay, and we build. We rebuild for the next cycle. 
And I got to say, Dave, and this goes back to kind of probably my main take of the week that we'll get to is why I'm bullish. I'm bullish because the builders are continuing to build, my friend. Mm -hmm. I have never seen more building activity go on on the Ethereum protocol layer, for example, even just shipping the merge and everything that's next that we just talked to Vitalik with. But then on the application layer, I mean, bridges being built, layer twos being uh, built out and Mm -hmm. hardened. Um, DeFi apps, a whole new generation of these DeFi apps. GameFi is still happening in the background. NFTs, like we are building more than ever before. I think this market cycle to me proved that crypto has product market fit, all right? In, mm-hmm. in 2018, before DeFi, wasn't sure, didn't know for sure. It was kind of a guess. Um, and that's why, by the way, prices of ETH are like you know 10x higher. It's because right. we have product market fit. But what's gonna happen over the months to come is the tourists are gonna leave, the settlers are gonna stay. We're gonna build and we're gonna be ready for the next cycle because I do believe the next cycle will come independent of macro. This is not even a a bet based on macro. Maybe macro will help things happen faster, but uh, I don't think crypto can be stopped uh, due to macro. I mean, this is a exponential revolutionary technology and it can grow past macro in the stock market quite easily. It doesn't actually take that much. It just takes some real world use cases to um, completely expand. And there are things that are literally next. Uh, We're gonna have the withdrawals unlocked, not that that's fundamentally bullish, but then there's EIP 48404. The ZK EVM, the the gold standard of scalability, the ZK Sync's launching in 36 days. So there are things, Ryan, technical protocol developments that are literally next. Uh, It's not, however, it's not the protocol that triggers bull markets. These protocols are the platforms for applications that then trigger bull markets. And this is the thing that people that stick around during the bear markets are able to observe firsthand that newcomers that come because of a bull market are always catching up on. Is that like the 2021 bull market was the DeFi summer of 2020 and NFTs exploded on Ethereum. And that was the Ethereum app layer bull market. This is where an Ethereum gas fees hit like 600 and like stayed there for weeks. What that triggered was another, another bull market in protocols that wanted to like also share in this avalanche, Solana, Phantom. But like it always starts with the protocol. And so we are having protocols now like uh, the ZK EVM out of ZK Sync, Polygon, like so many of all these teams, Starkware. Uh, oh, Starkware's not doing one actually. Um, but like, and, and then also 4844 where like the, the brakes get unleashed out of layer twos. So these are the things, these are the things that are next. They're not like fundamentally bullish, but they produce the platforms for bull markets to exist on. And you're only going to watch that if you were here. I remember Ryan going through 2018 to 2020, having having this gut instinct that like, I have no idea when the bear market is gonna end, but when it does end, it's gonna end quickly and it's gonna rocket, the prices are gonna rocket. And when Ether broke $400, it broke $1,000 like two or three months later. And so you have to stick around to observe this. Can, can you share that story? Because um, so Bankless, Bankless tweeted something out. It said, um, for real, how did you actually become a mm-hmm. millionaire in crypto? Like, mm-hmm. for, for those of you who did it, how did you do it was the tweet. And I actually mm-hmm. didn't expect you to respond, David. But, like, you responded with your story. Well, yeah. What is your story? Like, how did you do well in crypto during the last bear market? Uh, I got a job in crypto that made it easy to pay attention to crypto. 
so it was my job to stay up to date with the meta. Uh, and so that was, I was consuming information all the time, like learning, learning, learning about how this thing works. Uh, and then with whatever money I had after rent and uh, rent and food, I bought ETH like a hundred percent of it. And I remember when ether broke down to $80 in COVID again, I literally stopped. I, I'm not saying that this is healthy, but like my friend was like, Hey, let's go on a trip. And I'm like, dude, the, the cost of this trip in ETH terms <laughs> is astronomical. Uh, and so like, I, like you, I definitely did like cut off like general, like life activities, but it was just because like, I, I saw these prices in ETH terms. I'm like, this is that I can't justify this expense. An opportunity. Yeah. Uh -huh. And like then eventually after like a very like subdued two years of activity where I was just like working at my companies, eventually starting Bankless and consuming and learning and producing content that all came to like I was able to cash in on that rapidly in 2021 when Ether goes from $400 to $4,000 inside of 12 months. Right. And so like you can't afford to like not pay attention because like the alpha you get from being ahead of the bull market is insane. It's the difference between buying the top and selling the top. The ability not, to not, see, not that I sold the top, the ability to see DeFi, like DeFi yes. summer before it happened. Yeah. I mean, we saw it, that. It was obvious. Was All people here. that participated in DeFi summer saw the 2021 bull market a year in advance. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. This is a post that caught my attention from Maddie earlier this week. And he, he talked about some possibilities, some things, mm -hmm. if you were a settler to look out for, an actual DeFi 2.0, he mentions Web3 Commerce, Web3 Social, um, Decentralized Science, DeSci, uh, the world of atoms where kind of like physical meets crypto. Um, there's all sorts of different areas you can take a look at. And I love how he concludes his post, which is just like, I don't really know what the next big use cases are going to be, but I'm here and I'm going to watch them and observe them and find out. So mm -hmm. that's what you have to do if you want to do well in cryptos. You can't be the tourist who just comes in during you know, the tops of the cycle. You have to stay for the long run. So I think that's what's next for us, David. Yeah. We're going to keep staying. We're going to keep doing what we're doing with Bankless. And what is literally next in the show, Universal Studios doing an NFT scavenger hunt. So this is kind of that story, the adoption of NFTs in creative and different ways. Universal Studios getting into it. Tether, once again, under the microscope. Seems to, this happens every 12 months or so. And Do Kwan, an Interpol notice. But we don't know where he is. So we're going to find out all of this stuff and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. The new proof of work Ethereum fork, David. It's down 75% already. It seems shocker. like it's kind of dead. Is that a shocker to you? Not at all. Uh, I, while I was sad that the merge uh, was definitely priced in, uh, at least I got this one right. Uh, the East <laughs> Powell chain was a nothing burger. Uh, like, I'm not surprised in the slightest. That is some solace. Uh, Infura as well, they are a network that provides mm -hmm. a lot of the data to different wallets that you use, a lot of the infrastructure, node infrastructure that powers Ethereum. And they are announcing that they are planning to decentralize their infrastructure. I think this is a, a long time coming and very hoped mm -hmm. for for many in the Ethereum community that we would have more decentralized options rather than just the Infuras and the Alchemies of the world. Do you have anything to add to that, David? I think when somebody, a big protocol like Infura says we plan to decentralize, it's fair to say token. Because if you want to continue mm. development, how do you incentivize that development while also be being, being decentralized? It means a token. Uh, this is a very key piece of Ethereum infrastructure. Uh, it's, a, it's a source of 
critique from external Ethereum people because like, you know, your MetaMask hooks into Infura to relay transactions and if Infura wanted to censor you, you probably could. Uh, so decentralizing Infura is a very big deal. So this is a very big step out of Infura. Also fitting with Consensus's new meta of wanting to tokenize and decentralize as many of its products as possible. Uh, so best of luck on the journey into the decentralized frontier Infura. I'm, st I'm still waiting on that MetaMask token though, David. Someday. Yeah, yeah. keep on, keep, don't hold your breath on that one. Something new out of the Stark X ecosystem. They tweeted out, bug found and fixed shortly after launch. But how it was found and fixed is pretty, pretty cool. The bug was found by Vlad Pachok out of Matter Labs and Ehor Berenblatt. Uh, these are Russian names that I'm terrible at pronouncing. Uh, and they say, and Starkware says, we deep, deeply share we share our deep appreciation and thank them for alerting us. This is an exa excellent example of good community spirit. And then DC Investor, who, uh, who retweeted this, saying, a ZK Sync devs found a bug in the Starkware ecosystem and communicated it to them to make sure that it could be fixed before anyone found could be harmed by it. Respect to the right kind of ethos to move us, move us forward. And then ZK Sync says, being mission driven means helping everyone in the Ethereum ecosystem. Glad we could help Starkware stay secure. Nice job. Nice yeah, job. This is good. Good move. Harvest, yes, harvest that goodwill like. clout. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, this is OpenSea. Excited to share that they just released OpenSea on Arbitrum, or at least that's going to be happening soon. So adding other networks to the fray. I think they, mm -hmm. they've added um, Polygon, maybe Solana, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, correct. And now yep. uh, Arbitrum. So excited to see all of the Layer 2s join the ranks of an OpenSea-supported network. David, this is some cool NFT news. Mm -hmm. Universal plus NFTs and a scavenger hunt? What is all this? Yeah, I thought this was, was pretty cool. It's a pretty clever use of NFTs. So basically what they're doing is they are just issuing, they're putting seven different QR codes around their their Halloween era uh, like theme parks. Like you know, every Halloween, they theme their park Halloween themed. Uh, and it's a scavenger hunt. Uh, and so people run around the park and they scan seven QR codes. And then you get an NFT when that's scanned. And visitors who scan all seven of them receive a special NFT, which uh, according to MoonPay, uh, the crypto payment service that's partnering with Universal on this said can unlock additional perks. This is what you like. If you don't know what to do with your NFTs, this is what you do. You <laughs> make it hard. You make them hard to get, and then you make them unlock certain things and access to more things. Like it's the most basic roadmap for all NFTs. Universal doing a good job make with this uh, and making it fun. And, and I guess congrats to MoonPay for partnering with them on that. That's a that huge, uh, huge partnership. Tether under the microscope again. Stablecoin issuer Tether ordered to produce documents showing what USDT is actually backed by. This is, I think, a US judge in New York requiring that Tether do this. I and mean, it's all good. This is back to what we were saying is if you're centralized, you should be under the scrutiny of, of regulators. Like we should know what USDT is backed by. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be able to ban it completely, but we should have full transparency and, and visibility here. So um, I don't hate this. I'm excited right. to get the definitive view on what Tether is actually backed by because that's always somewhat been kind of a, a mystery in crypto. I will say this does happen every now and then. I think the last time this happened was in like 2019 where Tether was like forced to disclose its holdings and it was like, okay, it's all there, moving on. Uh, but like you said, that was a one snapshot in time that's now like three years stale. So I guess we'll just do this all over again. I'm expecting tether to come back with plenty I mean, of reserves like us uh, usdc does it every 
every month, right? Like they it have, feels like they, they have do financial like every reports. block or something. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. It's like, that's the way it should be if you're a centralized, sure. yeah. you know, cause so you should have audited right. financial reports for what actually backs the, uh, the mm-hmm. dollar here. Um, David, there seems to be some back and forth between FTX, SBF, that is Sam Bankman-Fried mm-hmm. and CZ. They are, uh, they are buying all sorts of things. These are the, the two crypto banks that have money in this bear market, and they are spending. <laughs> the only two. <laughs> it feels that way, David. Mm-hmm. Um, so this mm-hmm. is FTX. They're in the lead to buy the crypto lender Voyager. Remember, that was the one that went bankrupt. Some of its assets are still worth something. Some of its customers, I assume some of its software. Uh, and they're in a bidding war with uh, Binance, CZ from, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Binance. So back and forth they go, trying to snap up all of these um, companies that have failed so hard and, and take their assets. Yeah, so you said FTX bid was uh, in the lead, but this article came out before it was disclosed that actually Binance's bid was slightly oh. higher than FTX's, <laughs> according to well played, what this CZ. article cites as some people. Um, so I guess okay, citation kind of needed, but some, this is what some people are saying. Uh, yeah, SBF versus CZ. Uh, these uh, two people with letters for names going after it. Meanwhile, Do Kwan is on the run, question mark. This is the headline. <laughs> South Korea asks Interpol to issue red notice for Terra co-founder Do Kwan. David, what is a red notice? Yeah, red notice is an international agreement. It's like, yo, this person, if you find or see this person, grab them. Uh, and so all red over notice the world. out for Do Kwan. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. like no hiding from it. Like yeah. you know, most Western countries and you know, mo- most countries I think in the world are in the Interpol whole red notice list, are they not? Uh, yes, I believe so. So uh, South Korean says they've moved to invalidate his passport days after they ir- issued the arrest warrant. And then they have a definition of a red notice here is a request for law enforcement worldwide to locate and arrest the named individual and hold that person until extradition processes can begin. Uh, not 195 countries. Um, so wow. Yeah. Can't, pretty much can't, all of can't them. hide, can't run. What's weird is earlier this week, Do Kwan tweeted this. I am not on the run, in quotes, or anything similar. For any government agency that has shown interest to communicate, we are in full cooperation. We don't have anything to hide. He's not on the run, yet he has an Interpol red notice after him. Uh, One of these things doesn't (laughs) Only one of these things can check out. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is like, I can't even believe all of this happened this year. Do you remember? like It was this year. March of this year, Do Kwan was riding high torching people on crypto, talking Us. about ending die, um, ta- talking about like how, I don't know. Ethereum Ryan Sean Adams doesn't know anything about, about crypto. Mike Nova Do you remember that tweet? Tattoos. Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> that tweet. Uh, and now, like months later, there's an Interpol notice for him. Like he's wanted in 195 countries. How crazy. How quickly that's things one, That's change. one of my like favorite things, bull market <laughs> shenanigans that happened, is uh, uh, Mike Novogratz gets the Luna Wolf tattoo. You comment <laughs> below that. This makes me question everything I know about crypto. Do Kwan replies to you, don't worry, it wasn't much to begin with. <laughs> yes. And then all of the lunatics like laugh at Ryan John Adams, then Terra blows up, and now Do Kwan's on the run. And like... And Mike Novogratz makes a statement about like, yeah, this is going to be one of these memories I have, like I have to live with for the rest of my life. Yes. <laughs> it happened it's in the last it. like five months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I wouldn't believe it. If you gave me the script for this movie, I, no I wouldn't way. believe it. No way. No um, way. This is cool. What is the tribe community doing uh, as a result of the, the Rari hack? Because there was word that they weren't going to pay back mm-hmm. victims, and now maybe they're changing course, and they are going to pay back? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, the Tribe Dow team has said that they are going to call it quits. Uh, and this caused definitely a lot of consternation because there's plenty of assets in the Tribe Dow treasury. And the Tribe token holders were going to vote to distribute those assets to token holders uh, and then partially pay back people that lost money in the Rari hack. Rari now part of Tribe. Uh, but it actually looks like that a vote was passed on chain to fully pay back the victims inside of 24 hours from this tweet. So this should have happened by the time you are listening to this. Uh, so it looks like hack victims are being paid out in full before tribe DAO token holders are liquidating all assets the That's way awesome. that it should be. So nice job. DAO's well doing done. the right thing. Well done. I, I wonder if there was pressure on them or they just decided to do the yeah. right thing. Well, we may There's certainly know. pressure. I'm sure there was pressure. Um, Helium signs a five-year agreement with T-Mobile for the Helium Mobile launch. That is according is to Coindesk. This is huge. Uh, this is from uh, Tishar from Multicoin. Helium Mobile just launched their own cellular plans, which will combine the Helium 5G network and the T-Mobile network. Helium Mobile plans will start as low as $5 per month, and subscribers will mine mobile tokens using just their phone. That's pretty crazy, David. What is Helium for people who aren't aware? Helium is this mesh network of like cellular connection. Uh, and so plenty of people, some of my friends here in Brooklyn and New York have these little like helium router node things on their roof, kind of like where you would put like a satellite dish. Uh, and so people that are walking by that are connected to the helium network can tap into your little helium node uh, and then use that node for data. So your helium node hooks into your Wi-Fi or your internet service provider, and then you bounce that Wi-Fi to somebody who's got their phone out that's local to you. And these things are short range. I think it's something like maybe a quarter mile or perhaps even much less than that. Um, uh, so like, but the idea is like many, many, many people all put these on their houses. And so in densely populated areas, you can go and like get data from this helium mesh network, helium network thing. I don't really understand the tokenomics behind it. This is actually a project that I haven't really dove into much, but a, a uh, partnership with T-Mobile is crazy. T-Mobile That's is nuts. Great. Yeah, it, I, I, so I think the rough approximation of the token economics is early adopters win bigger, right, as yes, the token correct. price yeah. appreciates. So this is kind of one of the use cases for tokens, which is how do you bootstrap an entire like cellular yeah. network? And the way you do that is through token incentives, particularly reward the early adopters. And so maybe that's what's working out here. Um, I think we should do more content on uh, Helium yeah, and figure it out in some more sure. detail. But yeah, it's certainly a big move here. It got our attention. Mm-hmm. The founder of Kraken, Jesse Powell, not to be confused with Jerome Powell, stepping down <laughs> as CEO. Uh, so getting a new leadership and David Ripley, Kraken COO, will be taking over as CEO. Um, so that's the news. There you go. Jesse, Jesse's watch has ended as well. Um, yeah. Did you know, David, the NASDAQ is planning to launch an institutional crypto custody service, right? This is the NASDAQ stock exchange, which is kind of weird because at the same time, Gary Gensler is talking about all your C20 tokens maybe being securities and uh, NASDAQ is getting into crypto custody. So what does that mean? I wonder. Um, I think it's a good thing for adoption, particularly institutional adoption of crypto. I'm glad it's happening during the bear market where people are more focused on building and not pumpy headlines. So Mm -hmm. that's cool. David, we also have uh, Liquid Collective. Yeah. 
Yeah, Liquid Collective, it's a consortium of many centralized staking as a service uh, entities, things like Coinbase Cloud, a, a few others, uh, Alluvial, Figment, uh, and they are all coming together under this Liquid Collective. Uh, I haven't been able to parse out the details too, too deeply, but I think the gist is that this is a shared protocol, shared standard for staking as a service providers to all produce a liquid staking token. Uh, and that can help mitigate some of the concerns around centralized stakers, uh, because if they are all like forming one mega system, they're all actually checking and balancing on each other. Uh, and so that's kind of the gist here. Uh, I think more details are certainly needed, but definitely interesting, uh, interesting development out of uh, the Liquid Collective. And speaking of Coinbase Cloud, they have just launched their platform for uh, Web3 developers. And what's cool about this, uh, so Coinbase Cloud, I think of it as like almost like AWS for crypto, mm -hmm. AWS for, for blockchain, that is Amazon Web Services, which you know many of the websites that uh, you use in your daily life run on AWS. Um, they're, they're doing a cloud-based service, but for blockchains and for crypto. And starting today, apparently, developers, and this was a couple of days ago, now have free and instant blockchain API access from Coinbase Cloud. So free and instant API access. And I imagine they are running this kind of a promotion to uh, fuel adoption of Coinbase Cloud. That's a big entrant into the space. I'm pretty yeah. excited about this. Yeah, big moves. Uh, in other worlds, FTX is reloading. Uh, they have raised a billion dollars for further acquisition strategies. So they've already been buying up all of the blood in the market, uh, and they are raising another billion dollars, uh, adding to the $400 million that they've already raised in January so that they could buy up more deals during crypto winter. Damn. Your moves. Your moves, CZ. <laughs> Are you going to compete with another yeah, billion that's, that's crazy. just entered? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, this Got is it. cool. Masari, the crypto analytics and media entity, they just announced that they raised another $35 million, this time in Series B funding. And David, you've been hanging out at Masari Mainnet all week. Um, what was mm -hmm. the temperature there? What was the feeling? Yeah, I was actually there just before recording this, uh, moderating a panel of uh, scaling solutions, Avalanche, Arbitrum, uh, ZK Sync, and Polygon. Uh, de decently populated. This is always the uh, the conference that's like one uh, suits that are one foot in the crypto world. Uh, so can't really talk to them about EIP 4844, but can talk to them about like generalized scaling ideas. Um, so not, not too technical, but definitely more than crypto curious, I would say. Uh, decently populated, definitely successful. Uh, it's always nice to see people attending crypto conferences in bear markets. And congratulations to Ryan Selkis leading Masari over there, raising $35 more million. Yeah, congrats to Masari on the raise there. That's a big one. Um, good to have more crypto media companies so we don't have stupid headlines that we have to deal with from like the Yahoo Finance one I read out earlier. Ryan, you know, I remember Ryan Selkis's like war over Ripple and like Brad Garlinghouse. Yeah. yeah. Guess who was on stage together? No, Brad and yeah. Ryan. Brad How and did Ryan. that go? Yeah, I I Best sure it was now? spicy. Definitely not. <laughs> I didn't watch it myself, but I I, I rem remember murmurings about this, about how this was going to happen. Ripple oh. sponsored the event. One of my friends came up to me, uh, James from uh, Fire Eyes. He came up to me and was like, "Dude, look at my hat!" And it's like a Ripple hat. And we just like, started cracking up. <laughs> old school Ripple hat, huh? That's amazing. Yeah. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. I guess. Well, it's not old school. It's brand new. Ripple's still around. It's, it's so nuts. hard for me to believe that Ripple is that still around. It's, like, I don't know why they have the market cap that they have. It's, it's actually ridiculous. pretty impressive at this point. Yeah, in, uh, in David, it's jobs time. 
So jobs. while we are in a bear market from a price perspective, we are not in a bear market for jobs because yeah, what happens during bear markets, builders build and they need people to help build the companies and protocols of the future for the next bull run. David, should I read out some jobs? Go, oh, please do, Ryan. It's my favorite part of the weekly rollup. All right, well, you should dance then. Solid World <laughs> DAO, Senior Web3 Developer, Rubicon, Smart Contract Engineer, Bankless. We need a social lord. That sounds social awesome. Social lord? Molecule, God, we do, we a head of engineering, a bankless, a growth marketer. Both those are what, David? Non-technical. Uh, Economia needs a lead designer. A silent protocol needs a full stack software contract engineer. Superform, a senior backend engineer. Big Green, a full stack developer. Masari, software engineer. Market data. Masari, also software engineer of media. I could go on, but I don't have to. Get a job like David did. Last bull market. Last, excuse me, last bear market. He got a job. And look at him now. You could be the next David. <laughs> oh, go God, the... you just turned, so many people just turned it off. <laughs> well, like, no, uh, no. Go to the bankless.palette.com website to get those jobs. Be the next David or just be, be yourself. Yeah. Now is the time I mean, to get a job in crypto. We should say instead of a, get a job in crypto, we should say become a crypto millionaire. Yeah. By getting That's, a job in crypto is that how it during works, the crypto bear market. It's, it's like it's one to one. It's guaranteed. Stay tuned for David's book of 10 easy steps. <laughs> Guys, coming up next, of course, we've got questions from the nation and some hot takes on Twitter from uh, Hayden Adams dropping yeah, the spice he was, he was this week. spicy this week. Yeah, big we'll time. We'll get to that and more. But first, we want to tell you about the sponsors that made this episode possible. Questions from the nation. A reminder, you can ask the question on Twitter. Follow Bankless HQ on Twitter. Get your question in. We usually publish a post on Wednesday. Reply to that post with your question. It may come up on the roll-up. Here is Ben Brown. He's asking the question, could you help explain the value of running a full node, even if you don't have enough ETH to be a validator? Are you providing any security benefits to the network? And how would that play out if someone attacked or censored the network? Ben is asking here, David, why run a node if you ain't getting paid? If you're not a staker there, or validator, is there any point? There are so many reasons why one would want to run their own node. Uh, and I think the, the easiest one to explain is that if you run your own node, you can point your MetaMask, your wallet provider to that node. And so your node natively connects to the Ethereum blockchain or whatever blockchain you're talking about uh, in the same way that every other node does. And so it's a first class citizen. It's hearing the same transactions. It's seeing the same data. It's hearing, taking in the same blocks as all the other nodes in the, in the world. And so you're, you have an Ethereum node in your house. You don't you have to take, use Infura. You don't have to use Infura. You take your wallet, your MetaMask, and instead of using Infura, you point it to your node. And then when you write a transaction, there are no middlemen. It's going straight to the Ethereum network because you are broadcasting your own transactions. There's plenty of reasons why you would want to do this, but it's one of those, it's, it's going max bankless. Uh, and so there are no intermediaries separating your transaction from the Ethereum network. Uh, and so this is, this is why running your own node is like part of the bankless philosophy. Like having the option to run your own node is having the option to permissionlessly transact on the network. It's nice that we have things like Infura, but it's critical that we can route around them if we need to. And that's what running your own node does. That's like the first use case for me that comes to mind as to why someone would run to run their own node. Um, what, what use cases come to you, uh, come to your head, Ryan? Well, ultimately it's, it's about that. It's going full bankless and taking complete sovereignty. But also mm -hmm. I will say there's a systemic importance to this of more people running their own nodes because it um, is, a, is a check on uh, other validator power, right? Mm -hmm. So 
if you don't want to run the Ethereum software on your own node, uh, for example, you don't have to. It's kind of like a vote in mm-hmm. uh, in the Ethereum network, right? And so, um, like, it's really the non-staking nodes are an essential part, as right. well as staking nodes, of course, but non-staking staking nodes are an essential part of Ethereum's defense and security. It's kind of how you vote mm-hmm. as a citizen inside of the network. And so this is the problem if uh, individuals don't have the ability to run their own nodes, then somebody else has to run them for them from a data center and they lose their vote. It's kind of, a, it's, it, it's sort of like, um, you know, some people vote in all of their local uh, government elections, right? Some people don't. Um, but imagine if you didn't have the ability to vote right. in your local government election. That would be a problem. That would mean you're, you're no longer in a democracy. There's no longer you know, some notion of um, the, the, people, the people rule. Uh, you might be in some different type of a network. You might be in a monarchy. You might be in a, um, a, uh, a government controlled by an elite few. And that is, the, that is the difference between running a node. It gives you the ability to vote in the network itself. Take, for example, if like two big entities like Coinbase or Lido had like the army march in, even though Lido's actually 24 people, but say, for example, there's one person. Uh, the army marches in, holds a gun to these people's heads and say, hey, install this new uh, client on your validators and make the Ethereum blockchain update to this client. The, the, think of like nodes as like minority power. So all like two, like two thirds of ETH stakers have a gun to their head, say, hey, uh, install this OFAC version of Ethereum. And like now we have two thirds of proof of stake validators going in that direction. It's the nodes that don't install that software that actually have the say, because then we'll have a chain split and the community is going with the non-OFAC version of Ethereum. And that version of Ethereum will win if the community says it will. And the community says that it will by running that node. And it's the same reason why Bitcoin won versus Bitcoin Cash in 2016, 2017 is because the Bitcoin community chose to run the Bitcoin as we know it node software and also like bought that version of Bitcoin and prompt up the market price of that version of Bitcoin. So like running your own node is like how you have minority power over ETH stakers, no matter the, no matter the size of the stake. This is a question I think that's related. It's from Matt. Why are mobile phones not the ultimate device for solo staking? They're always connected on Wi-Fi or cell landline doesn't work and their battery feed for them lasts hours in case of electricity shortages. What about this idea? Why not stake mm-hmm. on a mobile phone? It seems like this would be the ultimate computer for a validator or staker for someone to run their own non-staking node itself. Yeah, it's a really good question. And there's definitely the possibility of mobile phones becoming staking. And the timing of this question is actually really interesting because we just recorded an episode with Vitalik Buterin where we talked about this, where not only can we reduce the Ether requirements for staking nodes potentially down to like eight Ether, but we can actually reduce the hardware requirements down to a cell phone. So why can't we do this today? Uh, I don't know what the exact bottleneck is. Uh, bandwidth, I don't think, is the issue. CPU power definitely could be an issue. Hard drive space, perhaps an issue. But then as soon as we get into light clients, which are like clients that don't have a lot of like data stored with them, but are still fully self-sovereign clients, like then we do start to unlock like this cell phone staking. This, this, this is a thing. This Imagine is a real if thing. there was uh, an app you could just download on your phone that was just the staking the, app, the, the Ethereum, Ethereum app, app. Yeah. right? It's just so much easier. There's one one click and you have it and mm-hmm. you're running a staking node on your mm-hmm. phone. Um, that sounds pretty badass. Yeah, well, you, the bigger concern is like, 
you won't, you're taking your phone into like wherever you're going, right? So if you lose your phone, you're going to need to be able to recover those keys. Account abstraction, David, you know, yeah. social recovery. We'll get there, <laughs> we'll, we'll all right? We'll figure that out. It's not yeah. overnight. Um, one of the infinity problems we have left in this space. Takes of the week. Let's talk about the first one. This is from Joe Weisenthal. He says, I genuinely think that with the merge now having happened, much of the institutional crypto space, think VCs, etc., they're now going to turn sharply against Bitcoin. The Ponzi, scams, and fads built on Ethereum are now ESG. And this will be used as a re regulatory cudgel against proof-of-work chains. So Joe making the case that because Ethereum is proof-of-stake, doesn't have the energy consumption baggage that Bitcoin does, it will now be the institutional crypto chain. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things we've been saying for a long, a long time. Uh, Joe Weisenthal, of course, co-host of the Odd Lots podcast, he uh, out of Bloomberg. So he's this pretty is not crypto just skeptical. He's crypto. Well, yes, he's definitely crypto skeptical, but definitely also pays attention. Uh, really close with like Nick Carter and, and people like that, like the academic side of crypto. Uh, but yeah, like Bitcoin has an extremely uphill battle to fight with this whole like energy consumption thing, and I don't know how they get through that. Here's uh, maybe how they do get through that, David. This is a take from Dan Held, notable Bitcoiner, longtime Bitcoiner. I would call Dan a maximalist, uh, and he tweets this. Say no to Bitcoin fundamentalism. Mm. And then someone asked the question of what does fundamental, fundamentalism look like, Bitcoin fundamentalism? And it's saying things like alts are immoral, according to Dan. Lending is immoral. VCs are immoral. Making money is immoral. This is uh, maybe Bitcoin hardliners softening a little bit, getting more pragmatic. Is that what this is looking like to you? Yeah, I'm actually in email correspondence with Dan about potentially scheduling a show because I, I reply to this like, hey, I would love to talk about Bitcoin fundamentalism versus Bitcoin rationalism. Uh, this, this fundamentalism term is new, and I think that's a strategic not using the word maximalist ah. because I think Dan Held is would self-identify as like, I'm, I'm fully focused on the Bitcoin ecosystem. Maybe he wouldn't call himself a Bitcoin maximalist in the same way we don't call ourselves Ethereum maximalists. Um, but like other people call us that and other people call Dan Held that. So if we do get Dan Held on the show, I'd love to see where he draws the line between Bitcoin fundamentalism and Bitcoin maximalism. Because I don't, I'm pretty sure Dan Held is going to ride proof of work uh, or die like that. I, is, I think that is a strongly held belief. I, I do too. He's going to ride Bitcoin or die probably. But I, I will say this is a narrative pivot. This I think for the Bitcoin fundamentalist mm -hmm. community, Bitcoin let me say, or the Bitcoin yes. community as a whole, mm -hmm. um, they're definitely looking at this and saying, "Hey, you know, people don't like us. Like we're y'all are crazy. We're losing Corey the Clipston. You're crazy." <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a take from Hayden Adams, of course, mm -hmm. the the founder of Uniswap. In my opinion, thinking about Ethereum haters as a singular group is not particularly useful. He says, most people outside of crypto Twitter are not haters or likers. They're, I couldn't give less of a shit about Ethereum, except for how it affects things I actually care about ors. <laughs> Really overusing the ors meme, but I love it. <laughs> Maybe underusing uh, it. I mean, yeah, I'm just reminded of that line that, like, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Mm. Uh, so, like, a lot of people just don't care about crypto except for the fact that we're consuming a ton of energy except a lot less these days until we build stuff for them that they care about yeah. yes exactly until they notice exactly another right. take by hayden you want to read this 
Yeah, crypto people blame others for being anti-crypto, but it's because one, crypto has elevated horrible spokespeople, yeah. Uh, two, crypto industry spends too much time fighting and arguing both internally and externally for theoretical futures rather than actively demonstrating value in the present. Yeah, I'd say that's an accurate summary. Okay. Although I will also say that crypto very much needs to look into the future to see what it will become because there are potential, many, many potential versions of crypto and we need to make sure that we find the right one. So you do have to look into the future. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't think Hayden is saying don't look into the future. I think what he's saying is let's build let's build right. something really yes. useful. This is the call, call during the, the bear market for sure. Um, David, this was another take, and I enjoyed this uh, tweet out of Bankless as well. It says, what's your most cancelable take? We got a lot of good cancelable takes. Ryan Sean Adams, Adams says it's okay to have a bank account. Hey, what? don't repeat that. Don't repeat what? that, all right? It's not for the roll-up, okay? That was just the cancelable <laughs> take. Uh, but seriously, it is okay to have a bank account. I have a bank account. David has a bank account. Uh, what's this take from John? Yeah, this is John, and he says, uh, John from Delphi, who wrote that insane reports on both Ethereum's roadmap and, and uh, rollups, so very well-informed guy. And he says, rollups today mostly aren't actual rollups, and one of them will likely suffer a major hack at some point, which will make people question the whole plan to begin Ooh. with. There's also a picture of a guy like dropping a grenade into, down a stairwell. Into, down a stairwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good picture. It's a big, what do you think he means by that? Rollups aren't actually rollups. Is it because we have some relaxed security assumptions? Yeah, if you want to go to l2beat.org. Oh my gosh, I you're doing it going before there, I even asked. I already asked. opened yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So there's all these different like th risks that we need to like plug. Uh, and so there are like Arbitrum 1, Optimism, DYDX, Loop Ring, all of these things still can be upgraded. They still haven't burned the private keys, right? Uh, and so that still that still needs to happen. Uh, there's still like fraud proofs that are needed. So there's like six or seven or eight different like pieces that you need to have complete before you call yourself a rollup. And John is just saying, rollups are just like incomplete. They are missing pieces before they can fully call themselves a rollup. I will say though, while he's totally right, uh, still yet to have a single rollup having having a big exploit and like. Almost, it seems every single cross layer one bridge has gotten. You better knock on so wood, David, because things could change quickly. I know there was a, an exploit uh, bug that was found on Arbitrum earlier this week. We didn't fit it into the rollup, but uh, but that happened. So these types of things can happen for sure. And I I do think that um, it, it is probably true that some of these rollups are kind of like they're side chains with a path towards a rollup future, right? until they fully take care of upgradability, state validation, validator failure, all of these risk scenarios, they do have some risk. They operate a bit more yeah. like sidechains. Now, the difference mm -hmm. between sidechains and rollup is they have a path to get there, the other side right. and be fully secured <laughs> by Ethereum. The they actually have a future. <laughs> they actually have a path to get there. They actually have a future. Uh, let me ask you the question though, David, what are you bullish on this week, my friend? Ryan, you know that merge video that I made, that like 15 minute, what is the Ethereum merge video? Yes. And it got like 20, 30,000 views and got us a bunch of new subscribers. And yes. it was like very edited. And like, you know how, you know how we are like, how long are we at right now? We are at one hour and 31 minutes into the weekly rollup. Yes. And like we keep every, we keep on talking about how like, yo, we like, we have to trim down these goddamn weekly rollups. And then we do it <laughs> once and then we never do it again. Same thing with the podcast. We record a podcast with Vitalik and we just need to talk about everything. So it's an hour and 45 goddamn. Part Minutes. Part one, part two. Part two, two-part episode of Vitalik because we can't do short episodes. You know, you know how this is a problem. Yeah, of ours? I know that's the problem. Yeah, why, why are you talking about it now? <laughs> yeah, so I've got like four of those videos like in the hopper uh, with four this fifteen-minute videos. 
Yeah, one's 18 minutes, one's 12 minutes, one's like three minutes. What is Ethereum? What is ETH? Why, this was my favorite, why is crypto full of scams? Uh, I'm, I'm known to write very long essays, but when you take these long essays and you read them really fast into a teleprompter and then give that to your editors and they make a YouTube video out of that, all of a sudden David's infamously long essays turn into very short YouTube videos. Wow. Yeah, so all that's coming uh, on a brand new Bankless YouTube channel. Uh, and so this is coming out shortly soon, so stay tuned for that. Um, this is going to be the hyper YouTube optimized side of Bankless, and your boy is pioneering it. I feel like this is the point in the show where we should edit in, like, subscribe to the new YouTube channel with a big button if people are watching this on YouTube. Do we have that capability yet? Is the channel uh, up? Shit, you're totally right. No, it'll be out, like, next Wednesday or something. Uh, yeah. Almost. Uh -huh. All right. Stay tuned, though. Next stay tuned. week. Well, I'll talk about it next week, too, for all <laughs> the people go. that are sticking around. <laughs> Ryan, go. what are you bullish on? Uh, just like I already said it, the building, the building that's going on. I've never seen a time where more building is happening in crypto, more developers. You know, the thing that they always say is like following, follow the developers, right? It's like mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you follow the developers, then, you know, you follow them regardless of what the price is. I mean, people can be bearish if they want, but like I'm going to be here following the developers. And what are they doing? They're working on the ETH roadmap. That looks better than I've ever seen. Episode where Vitalik goes through it coming out on Monday Layer twos, the building that's going on across all of the mm -hmm. team, like ZK team, ZK EVM, fasting ha uh, happening faster than anyone thought. Uh, we're building on Optimism, building on Arbitrum. DeFi, that's being built out. I think there will be a DeFi 2.0. It was not the DeFi 2.0 that we sort of saw the meme around in 2021. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a real DeFi 2.0, <laughs> which um, you know has all sorts of new ideas that we've not even contemplated. NFTs are building. It's all of these new discoveries ahead Bankless for us, is too. building NFTs. We're, we're building, like, so uh, I, I just feel like when you have this amount of talent and, you know, developer uh, keep building the space, like, being bearish on crypto right now is like, okay, cool. Like, Sweet, be bearish dude. on the internet. Be right. bearish on humanity. Be bearish <laughs> yeah. on software and code. Like, where did that get you the last 20 years? Uh, go be bearish on those things. That's fine. I'll be oh, settling. I love spicy Ryan. I'll be holding. Uh, it's going to be okay. And I'm excited that, you know, there's still a bankless audience for us on, on the other side of this because mm -hmm. uh, we're going to come out stronger as we follow the developers, as we keep building. Uh, David, what do we have? Meme of the week. Meme of the week. Let's do it. Let's look at this. Uh, I thought this was great. So this is uh, actually going to be kind of hard to explain, but we have uh, two dudes <laughs> and another dude, and one dude is explaining to two dudes, and they're at a party. Uh, and then uh, the title is, When I accidentally use personality A with friend group B. And the solo dude is like, I'm stoked that the Ethereum proof-of-stake upgrade was successful. Looking forward to tracking my staking yields over the next few weeks. And then the other two dudes, who are both wearing football uh, sweatshirts, saying, Proof of what? What the fuck are you talking about? Excuse the French. Uh, and then Bankless, the Bankless Instagram DMs this dude who's talking about proof of stake at the party. And he goes, Bankless says, hey, how was the party? And the guy says, horrible. And he's just crying. He's, he's just sad. Up. Yeah, I guess this meme works more when you look at it. You know it what? It's funny to me because it kind of works in real life. Like, do you have like, I, I have a whole bunch of internet friends where I could celebrate mm -hmm. the merge with, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I don't have that many in real life friends who just care at all. About the, merge, about the merge, about Ethereum, yeah. 
And like, if I brought up to my like in real life normie friends, mm-hmm. hey, the merge was awesome this week. They'd be, what are you talking about? Get out of here, nerd. Like, <laughs> so I, I don't know if this is like you or maybe David, your life, you've better integrated kind of like your in real life friends with your crypto mm-hmm. friends and they're one in the same. But like yeah, for me, it's very true. much two different groups. So my mom's birthday was the day of the merge. Uh, and so I called her up and I was like, mom, do you know what day it is? And she, of course, thinks I'm talking about her birthday. Uh, <laughs> oh, and- <laughs> no. I hope you were in that moment. I hope you pivoted. You hard pivoted. No, I was that? like, she's like, uh, yeah, it's my, and I go, it's the day of the merge. Oh, God, David. But, okay, but, no but my mom remembers when us. I had, like, <laughs> these GPU miners in different corners of my dad's house. And yeah. so my mom, being, like, the liberal environmentalist that she is, she, she always, like, this is consuming how much electricity? Oh. And so she goes, and so she goes, what, what's, what's the merge? And she goes, and I, I tell her, this is the day that Ethereum uh, mitigates all mining and it goes proof of stake and we eliminate all of our energy consumption. You know what she says? What? That's great. I love <laughs> the merge. Excited. And yeah. also happy birthday, mom. And then I wish her a happy birthday. Okay, yeah. perfect. Good ordering on that, David. Well, <laughs> that, that was a gift to your mom then. Didn't know that the mm-hmm. merge and environmental mom, yeah. effects were all, all about uh, a gift to your mother. But that's great, David. Mm-hmm. Um, should we end it here? So we do have a moment of Zen. And this uh, <laughs> moment of Zen is coming out of uh, Gabriel Haynes. He's this, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's this uh, absurdist meme joker account on crypto Twitter. And it's pretty funny. But first, Ryan's going to read you some disclaimers. Of course, ETH is risky. Got to tell you, none of this has been financial advice. All of crypto is. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. My friend told me that he's waiting for ETH to hit $500 before he buys. And I said to him, well, ETH only hit 800 because Suzu and Kyle needed to liquidate their entire portfolio at the bottom. So it's very unlikely that we get to those numbers again, unless there's some sort of catastrophic liquidation. And he says to me, well, you know what? The macro is getting bad. The macro is gonna send SPX to 200. You're a goddamn barista, sir! Not a macro trader! Just buy Ethan, shut up!